You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Luke 11 in your Bibles this evening, and uh, we'll read the first four verses, and as is our custom, at least my custom, when we read, we're going to stand in, in respect of God's Word. So Luke chapter 11, we'll read the first four verses together. Luke 11, the first four verses, and of course this is the model prayer which we've been dealing with for a number of weeks now, and we're coming down to the end. I think we've probably got maybe three more messages with it. Luke 11, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. What I'd like to do tonight is uh, read this together. So we'll all read it together out loud. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And we'll begin in verse 1. Ready, begin. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Tonight, the, the phrase that I'd want to focus on is in verse 4, the beginning of verse 4. It says, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. And we'll get into the message tonight. We'll pick up tonight in this series on the model prayer, Luke 11. The last time we were in this series, we looked at the first half of this phrase here in verse 4, uh, which says, and forgive us our sins. And tonight I intend to focus more on the second half of that phrase, because they really are two such big thoughts in themselves that it was good, I think, I thought it was good for us to separate them. And that phrase that we're looking at tonight is, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. But as a quick review of last time, I want to convey just how big of a deal it is when we sin before God. You say, well, that's a good Baptist start, a good encouraging, happy thought. We're talking about sin from the very beginning. Well, tonight I want to review that because I think sometimes uh, as we live our lives in this culture, we forget just how big of a deal it is when we break God's law when we transgress before God. And it may not be preached very much, or maybe it's not very popular, but listen, it's no small thing. We must include forgiveness each time that we approach our Father in prayer. The last time that we were, we were talking about this and forgive us our sins was the phrase. We, we looked at the fact that sin is a debt to God. It's a debt that we owe God. When you, when you read this entire phrase together, it's clear that sin and debt are synonyms. It says, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. So sin and debt are synonyms. And, and when we break God's law, we put ourselves in a position in which we owe God a debt. It's a financial term. 
If I have a debt, it means I'm obligated to pay someone else. It's also a moral term. If you've damaged someone else's property or stolen from them or wronged them, you owe them repayment. So sin is like a debt. Sin is also, in the scripture, it's likened to a crime. If a criminal is caught with a weapon in his hand, with maybe even with witnesses that see everything, the whole thing's caught on camera, there's no way that you're escaping judgment. There's no way that you're escaping punishment. But listen, that's how guilty we are before God. Except, I mean, he sees everything. He knows how guilty we are. Except he's also the judge. So there's no escaping. He sees it all. The transgression was against him. That's how guilty we are before God. So sin is a debt. And again, I'm just reminding you, here's why it's important that we confess our sins when we come before God. Because sin is a debt. It's a financial term, but we owe God something. Sin is also called a crime. We are criminals before God. But not only that, sin puts us at odds. We become God's enemies if we have sinned. Romans 5.10 states we, are, we were enemies of God. So I don't like having enemies. I want people to like me as much as the next guy. But can you imagine becoming an enemy with a bad, scary person that's now out to get you? Maybe you've been in that position before. It's a terrifying thought. But now imagine having as your enemy the one person in the world who can see everything you do, has all power and every resource on their side, and whatever he decides comes true. Now you talk about scary. That's a person's position with God. If sin has not been dealt with, our sin has put us at enmity with God. Sin is significant, folks. And I know, again, on Wednesday night, you're supposed to come in and be refreshed But it's important that we come and understand that we must confess our sin before God. God is holy. We are not. Sin is a moral debt we owe God. We could never repay it. Sin is a list of our crimes a mile long that the judge knows all about. Sin has put us at odds with God because he's the one offended. It's so grievous to him that it makes man his enemy. Sin is no small thing. God of heaven sees it as a debt, a crime, and and that which puts us at odds with God, we, we must not view it lightly. We have a responsibility to God to confess our sins. We, we owe him a debt. We've broken his law. We're at odds with him. But according to 1 John 1, 9, one of the great verses, not that all the verses in the Bible aren't great, but one of the great truths that's encouraging. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So thankful for that truth tonight. When we come before God, he forgives. And, and you know what? We could probably leave it at that. We could probably come tonight and say, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and we all give a good yeehaw and we're all happy and we walk out better. Well, do you do yeehaws in South Dakota? Sorry, that's probably more of an Oklahoma analogy. I apologize for that. But, you know, it really is, it frees us. It frees me to know that if I take my sin to God and I confess it to God, that he forgives it every time. We know that's true. It's our responsibility to God to confess it. But do you realize that there's something in that that may not be entirely true? If I say, well, every time I come and confess my sin before God, he just forgives it, he's faithful, he's just, and I just walk away free. But do you realize, though, that there's something in the verse that we read tonight that not only mentions our responsibility to God, but it also talks about our responsibility to other people. 
read again Luke eleven four. It says, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. See, when Christ was teaching these same concepts in Matthew 6, he said it this way, and forgive us our sin, or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I don't want you to miss it tonight, because sometimes I think we take the blanket of, but if we confess our sin, and we just throw it over our entire body and think it just covers everything, God is just faithful, he'll just forgive it. But I want you to understand tonight, the entire premise of God's forgiving us hinges upon our choice to forgive other people. And I know that seems a little bit strange to say, and I, and I sense that through your silence, but that's what the Bible teaches. You might consider that Jesus has attached a condition, and I don't know that condition's the right word. I, it might be a prerequisite, or uh, he doesn't just tell the disciples, though, Hey, go pray that, you know, say, Father, forgive us, and then that's all, it's all done, and you're forgiven, and you just need to walk away after that. Everything's great. No, Jesus says to use this qualifier when you pray. Father, forgive me of my sins in the same way that I forgive others of their sins toward me. Wow. Can I be honest with you? It's terrifying. I mean, I'm, a, I'm, I'm in my office just today. I'm sitting here thinking, that's a terrifying thought. It's terrifying because if God for, God's forgiveness of me is dependent on my ability to forgive others the way God has forgiven me, you might as well just say, sayonara, Pastor Jet. You might as well just say, well, that's not going to happen for you because you're human and you can't forgive the way God forgives. As much as I want to forgive like God forgives, I will never get to that level. I mean, it would be, in my own flesh, it seems like it would be impossible. And I think it's good for us to consider this tonight. Maybe it's not so much as a, of a condition as a qualification, or a qualification, but maybe like an, an aspiration. You see, God also says we are to be holy as he is holy. So that's something that, that we're required to do. We're to be holy like God is holy. But do you ever in your own flesh feel like, okay, today I think I can manage that one. You ever think in your flesh that said, okay, I feel holy today. I think I feel a little bit of holiness coming on. I think I got this one today. Now, see, that's, when I was thinking about this in my study today, and I was thinking about forgiveness I was not just thinking, okay, I've got that one down. No, in my office just today, I'm thinking, if God forgives me like I forgive other people, then I don't have any hope in this one. It feels a little bit like holiness. It feels a little bit like those, those commands that we're told to do that just seem outside of ourselves. Well, the first thing that I have to say as I was thinking that is that God gives us power that nobody really, we, we can't explain it. He enables us in supernatural ways for which I'm thankful through his Holy Spirit. I'm grateful for that. But I also was thinking that it's not so much that, okay, you're capable of this as it is, that's what we're striving for. See, it simply means that we always, we're always to imitate and reflect our savior we're not perfect we never will be but just because it's difficult doesn't mean we don't have to strive for it 
See, sometimes I think we say, well, I could never forgive like that, so I'm just not going to try. No, that's the opposite of what Jesus Christ is saying here. He knows we're sinners. He knows we're limited. But he also says, this is the standard. Can you imagine if this standard was lower? Can you imagine if Jesus Christ had said, you forgive as much as you feel like, and then you're good? Well, you talk about a low standard. There's some days I don't feel, feel like forgiving anybody. But now he says, forgive like I've forgiven you because your forgiveness is contingent upon how much you strive to forgive other people. See, I believe that's what Jesus Christ is saying when he says, ask the Father to forgive you like you forgive others. It's not so much that God says, okay, your ability to forgive is way down here, so I'm just going to forgive you way down here. No, it's not so much that God will lower his forgiveness for, to, as a standard as much as he's trying to get us to raise our forgiveness as a standard. God knows we're limited. God knows we're finite. He knows that forgiveness is a supernatural work that does not come easy, uh, but he does give us an aspiration. He does give us something toward which to strive. If I know that my forgiveness with God is affected, if I can't forgive someone else, that stops me in my tracks. If I'm literally getting on my knees and praying, Father, this is my list of sins. Please forgive me for these in the same way that I forgave Joe for saying something about me behind my back. That starts to change the way you pray, folks. This afternoon... I mean, I was confronted with this in my office. And I got down on my knees in my office. And I started praying. And you know what? I thought about the, th the worst things that anybody has ever done to me. And can I just say, I don't even pretend to know what someone's done to you. I, I don't even pretend. I, I, my life has been good and God has been good to me. And I haven't gone through some of the trials you have but, but this applies to all of us. When I got down on my knees, I literally got on my knees and I said, God, would you forgive me of my sins? And then I specifically said a name. In the same way that I have forgiven fill in the blank for what they did to me. It changed the way I pray today. It changed the way that I was able to forgive today. Because in my mind, it made a connection between how I'm supposed to forgive others and that if I don't, God won't forgive me. And I'm telling you, this is a powerful truth. And if you don't get anything else tonight, what I want you to do is to think, go home, get on my knees, pray that God forgives me, but not just a blanket, that he'll forgive me in the way that I forgave fill in the blank. And it changed the way I prayed this afternoon if you, if you get down on your knees and you say, God, forgive me uh, in the same way that I forgive my spouse when they do this. Forgive me in the same way that I uh, forgave my, this person in my life for what they did to me as a child. It could be simple. It could be something small and maybe that's what you struggle with. But that's the qualifier here. Forgive me in this way, the way that I forgive others. We are to literally pray to God to forgive us in the same way. Or as our verse says in Luke 11, because we forgive others. Four. So my question to you tonight is, if God forgives you like you forgive others, how much forgiveness do you have?
I know this is a heavy-hitting message. I, I wish it could be easier or more enjoyable or more inspirational on a Wednesday night, but this was in the text, and obviously God in his sovereignty knew those of us here need to hear this. Jesus Christ makes this point in his teaching in other places as well. Look, look over in Matthew chapter 18. When I was reading it this, this afternoon, this is obviously the, the first passage that came to my mind. And I want to look at a story here that Jesus Christ gives as an example. We'll try to get through this pretty quickly. You've heard this, I'm sure, before. But look at Matthew chapter 18. And look at verse 21. Matthew 18, 21 says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? And don't you think Peter, right, when he said till seven times, he looked around at the disciples like, you ready? Till seven times. He thought, man, that's a big number. Well, Jesus Christ comes in and pops the balloon. And Jesus saith unto him, verse 22, I say not unto thee until seven times but until 70 times 7. Now after that response to Peter, Christ tells a story about a servant who was forgiven of a huge amount of debt by his king. But I, I want you just to think about that number first though. See, 70 times 7 is, by my math, my math uh, skills, 490. 70 times 7. And you say 490 Okay, but once I get to 490, then it's done, it's over. That's not the point. Jesus Christ is trying to say, no, seven, that's your number. My number's 490, but really my number is however many times it takes. My number goes on and on and on. Jesus Christ was just using Peter's number to make a point that this goes on and on. And then he tells a story, look at 23. Therefore, it is, is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king, which would take account of his servants, and when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto, unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. So here's how it starts. There's a servant, he's, he owes a great, a huge debt to his king, to his lord. It's 10,000 talents. That's more money that can be earned in, in a lifetime. I'll just say it that way. There are different, differing uh, opinions on it. It's a huge number, just know that. So the significance of the debt is clear. It's a huge amount owed. And the servant then he knows he can't really repay it, but he, he begs for mercy. He says, let me repay it uh, till I, uh, let, me, let me work, let me repay it, have mercy on me. And then the king, though, forgives that huge amount of debt um, and lets him go away free. So that's the first part of the story. There's a servant, he owes a great amount of, of debt to a king, he can't ever repay it. He goes to with mercy, ask mercy from the king. The king says, I will forgive you of your debt. You can walk away free. You don't owe me anything else. So after receiving forgiveness, the servant goes out and he finds a fellow servant who owes him a small amount of money. Look at verse 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. Now, my, from my study and my understanding 
A hundred pence is about four months worth of salary. So you've got on one hand, four months worth of salary. On the other hand, you've got a lifetime, multiple lifetimes perhaps, of, of money owed. You've got four months of salary and then a, a number you and I could probably not even wrap our minds around. 100 pence is about four months of salary compared to 10,000 talents. This is nothing. But listen, instead of forgiving that debt like his master had forgiven him, in verse 28 it says, And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. Wow. His Lord had forgiven him of a large sum of money and let him walk away without paying any of it back. He finds a servant that owes him a small amount of money and he takes him by the collar and says, pay me what thou owest. Verse 29, and his fellow servant fell down at his feet, just like he had done, and besought him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. In verse 30, he would not, but he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. His fellow servant falls down and begs for mercy. He won't grant it like it had been granted to him. He casts him into prison. But word gets back to the king. Word gets back to the Lord. And he is, as we would say in Oklahoma, he ain't happy. Let's look at the final four, four verses of this story. Verse 32, it says, Then his Lord, after that he had called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant. I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise, listen, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses." Sorry to see the connection now between this and Luke 11 and Matthew 6. God's forgiveness to us is, is contingent on our forgiveness toward others. You know, we read that story and say, how unreasonable. I mean, he should be in prison, but someone showed him grace. And why can't he do the same to someone who owes him far less? And you're right, it does not make sense. So I'm going to ask the question of us. Why can't we show the same forgiveness to someone who owes us far less? How can we refuse to forgive a debt when someone wrongs us just one time? And yet the whole reason that I have a walk with God, and, and as R.C. Sproul says it, the whole reason I have a place in the kingdom is because of God's continual forgiveness to me. God didn't forgive you and I for one or two offenses. Every sin is against God. And that means that I have a lifetime of, lifetime of sins against God. 10,000 talents worth times 10,000 talents worth. No one has sinned against me like I have sinned against God. The most someone owes me compared to what I owe God is 100 pence. It's nothing. And I haven't been nearly as gracious with others as God has been with me. I haven't been even close to as patient with others as God has been toward me. And according to Jesus Christ, there's no limit to the numbers of times, though, that I'm supposed to forgive. 
If I'm wronged and the other person acknowledges his guilt and repents and apologizes, I am obligated to forgive. And if they come back and they do it the next day, the rest, and every day the rest of my life, I'm still obligated. This is big stuff. This is hard stuff. Sometimes we feel pretty proud of our ability to forgive when someone wrongs us, but just doing it once, which seems like a huge deal, to forgive one time, that doesn't come close to the standard of forgiveness Christ shows me or the standard of forgiveness that Christ told us we're to display in Matthew 18. Last time I mentioned that we need to keep a short account with God. And I used the illustration that my wife's debit card was broke, so she, she couldn't use it, so she started using our credit card. And I started getting the emails saying that a payment had been made on our credit card. And I'm like, okay, what are you, what's happening here? And she said, well, I, I can't use the debit card, so I would swipe the credit card. But when I would, then I would immediately get online and make a payment. Why? So that we could keep our credit card, we could keep it a short account. So that it wouldn't stack up and stack up and stack up. And then a few months later, we've got all of these bills and all of this debt. And I'm like, what happened? And she said, well, I just kept forgetting to pay it off. No, I'm thankful that she was wanting to keep a short account with our credit card company. But listen, we need to keep a short account with God. We can't let them stack up. But also, even further, according to this passage, we can't keep a short account with God unless we keep short accounts with each other. Can I be honest tonight? You know, I've been in the ministry, I've been pastoring as long as, I, as many, but I've been in the ministry long enough and I can tell when I'm speaking with people that, that something makes me think there's a long account between that person and the person they just talked about. Just maybe the way it gets mentioned or, or something that gets said, I'm thinking in my mind there's a balance that hasn't been paid off. There's probably good reason for offense, but that doesn't justify a spirit of unforgiveness, especially between children of God especially between members of the same local church. I mean, hurt runs deep, offenses stack up, and even though it's against our nature, folks, it's time to let it go. It is time to, to, to look at those debts and look at how far they've stacked up and say, I want a zero balance. It's time to get these accounts with this person who did this, I want, I want a zero balance. This person who's, who did this and they stacked up, no, it's time to zero that thing out. It's against our nature, but it's time to let it go. Not only does it put, it put us at rest and free us from the bondage of unforgiveness, but it puts us in a position to be right with God. You know what's being said here? That you cannot be as right with God as you're supposed to be unless you're right with every person in your life. That's a big deal. That's a hard, a hard thing to hear. That's a tough pill to swallow. If I had any other analogies, I would use them right now. That's tough. But that's what the Bible says. A spirit of unforgiveness with others results in a shortage of forgiveness with God. He limits it based on our ability to forgive others. Next week, I, I want to preach, I'm going to preach on this same idea. About, I'm going to preach a practical message on forgiveness that I think will help, and it'll get us into some of the details about what happens and how to deal with it. 
But for tonight, I'd like to read you a story and then close with some questions. So don't turn your brain off yet. And this is, we're still in the message. Anytime a preacher says the word close, then everyone just power down. You've probably heard of Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom was a Dutch woman. She wrote the book, The Hiding Place. She and her family helped many Jews escape Nazi Germany by hiding them in their home during World War II. And she was caught and arrested and sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp with her family. And I found a short story that Corey Ten Boom wrote from November 1972. And in this story, she details forgiving a guard that was at the concentration camp where she and her family were imprisoned and where her sister died. So this, these are Corey Ten Boom's words. And I try not to read long passages too much. But I, want, I hope that you'll forgive me for doing this because she says it in a way that I can't. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him. A balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filling out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth that they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's home or mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe there were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence, collected their wraps, and silence left the room. And that's when I saw him. Working his way forward against the others, one moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. And now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, a fine message, Fräulein. How good is it to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. He was saying, I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and I could not. 
Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition. What is it? That we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands. The former guard and the former prisoner, I'd never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And having thus learned to forgive in this hardest of situations, Sarcastically, she says, I never had a difficulty in forgiving. I wish I could say it. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed for me from then on, but they didn't. If there's one thing I've learned at 80 years, years of age, it's that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw them fresh from God each day. Maybe I'm glad it's th that way, for every time I go to him, he teaches me something else. I recall the time some 15 years ago when some Christian friends whom I loved and trusted did something which hurt me. You would have thought that having forgiven the Nazi guard, this would have been child's play. It wasn't. For weeks I seethed inside, but at last I asked God again to work his miracle in me. And again it happened. First the cold-blooded decision, then the flood of joy and peace. I had forgiven my friends. I was restored to my father then why was I suddenly awake in the middle of the night, hashing over the whole affair again? My friends, I thought, people I loved? If it had been strangers, I wouldn't have minded so. I set up and switched on the light. Father, I thought it was all forgiven. Please help me do it. But the next night, I woke up again. They talked so sweetly, too. Never a hint of what they were planning. Father, I cried in alarm, help me. His help came in the form of a kindly Lutheran pastor to whom I confessed my failures after two sleepless weeks. Up in that church tower, he said, nodding out the window, is a bell which is rung by pulling on a rope. But you know what? After the sexton lets go of the rope, the bell keeps on swinging. First ding, then dong, slower and slower until there's a final dong and it, never, and it stops. 
I believe the same thing is true of forgiveness. When we forgive someone, we take our hand off the rope, but if we've been tugging at our grievances for a long time, we mustn't be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep coming for a while. They're just the ding-dongs of the old bell slowing down. And so it proved to be. There were a few more midnight reverberations, a couple of dings when the subject came up in my conversation, but the force, which was my willingness in the matter, had gone out of them. They came less and less often, and at last stopped altogether. And so I discovered another secret of forgiveness, that we can trust God not only above our emotions, but also above our thoughts. And still, he had more to teach me. Even in this single episode, because many years later in 1970, an American with whom I had shared the ding-dong principle came to visit me in Holland and met the people involved. Aren't those the friends who let you down? He asked as if they left my apartment. Yes, I said smugly. You can see it's all forgiven. By you, yes, he said. But what about them? Have they accepted your forgiveness? They say there's nothing to forgive. They deny it ever happened. But I can prove it. I went eagerly to my desk. I have it in black and white. I saved all their letters, and I can show you where Corey, my friend, slipped his arm through mine and gently closed the door. Aren't you the one whose sins are at the bottom of the sea? And are the sins of your friends etched in black and white? For an anguishing moment, I could not find my voice. Lord Jesus, I whispered at last, who takes all my sins away? Forgive me for preserving all these years the evidence against others. Give me grace to burn all the blacks and whites as a sweet-smelling sacrifice to your glory. I did not go to sleep that night until I'd gone through my desk and pulled out those letters curling now with age and fed them all into my little coal-burning grate. As the flames leapt and glowed, so did my heart. Forgive us our trespasses, Jesus taught us to pray, as we forgive those who trespass against us. In the ashes of those letters, I was seeing yet another facet of his mercy. What more he would teach me about forgiveness in the days ahead, I didn't know. But tonight's was good news enough. When we bring our sins to Jesus, he not only forgives them, he makes them as if they had never been. What a lesson to learn from Corey Tinboom about forgiving others. So my questions tonight are, do you have any outstanding balances with other people? In other words, have you been wronged or hurt or offended? All of us would raise our hand but not taking care of it with someone else? If so, you can't be right with God like you should be. Second question, are you in the habit of forgiving right away or do you hold on for a while before doing so? Forgiveness should be complete, forgive everything, and immediate, do it right away. Third, in the process of forgiving others, consider how frequent God has to forgive you. It's not a one-time blanket with him. He forgives us over and over and over. Even 70 times 7 isn't really enough. So what's your forgiveness threshold? 
Where do you go and then stop because it's, that's just too much? That's an unbiblical mindset. Fourth, if clearing your account with God is dependent on you clearing your account with others, what's the likelihood that you'll have a short account with God anytime soon? All good questions, all good thoughts. In Eastside Baptist Church, I don't know that we realize how much Satan gets his foot in the door of unforgiveness. Not just in our personal lives, but with each other. As a church, and I don't know why, the, why God might give a pastor some insight sometimes, but I think probably tonight's a message we need an invitation for. Because it's hard not to sense sometimes. There are things that have been hard that have not been let go. Let's all stand together, every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.